You've got HAL 9000, you've got Commander Data, and of course you have C-3PO. We've been dreaming for years about having conversations with machines that feel like you're talking to a real person, but we are gonna talk with one of my favorite people in the world who has been making conversations with machines that sound like real people along with us for a long time. It's Jellyvision Labs' own Amanda Lannert on this week's episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, starting now. Gentlemen, so glad to be here. We are so glad you are here. This is, you guys, this is my favorite CEO in the whole world. Wow. Of the three he knows. I said what I said. <laughs> you know, a but, couple of our other guests might be a little uh, taken back by that. No, it's hard to be with the geeks. You know, I'm, I'm worried that I'll be able to keep up. I, I You know, I, I drink wine and play with my dog. I don't know how I've, I've <laughs> hobbies be able to hang but we'll dive in that'd be great uh we have the star wars quiz all prepared for you amanda so yes yeah you did recognize c-3po at the beginning was a character in star wars right that's all you need to know come on yeah you're good (laughs) you're good well hey let's let's go ahead and dive in um uh, amanda i thought maybe we could start and you could tell us a little bit about Jellyvision Lab and how it all started and, uh, well, yeah, the origin story of Jellyvision Lab. And then we'll talk a little bit about how we started working together and then where we're going to go in the future. I think that's kind of our game plan for today. Awesome. So. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll go all the way back to 1989 um, when the company started, and I'll do it in two minutes or less. Not I wasn't work. even born then, Amanda. <laughs> there you go. Um, I was, you know, a babe on my mom's knee, but our founder, Harry Gottlieb, started the company actually making feature-length comedies for kids in school with the idea that you cannot learn if you're not paying attention and comedy and Hollywood production values are great techniques to get kids to pay attention. So he made a movie called The Mind's Treasure Chest, which is about exploring libraries. Uh, and the film he made was very successful, took top honors at the National Film and Video Festival the year it was released, was distributed in five different countries. But Harry became very frustrated with the passive medium of film. It's broadcast, we talk at you, and then it's over. And he had this kind of question in his mind of, how can I reach the screen and engage learners one-on-one, but at a massive scale? And that has been the driving sort of charter of any form of Jellyvision since then. The first thing he did was in the early 90s, pre-QuickTime 1.0, he built a quiz show, game show, um, educational software program around 450 works of young adult literature that took the star of the movie and made him a game show host where the actual star of the program was a student sitting in front of the screen. It was a very early example of dynamic leveling where if the student was doing well, the questions would get harder. If the student was struggling and missing questions, uh, the host would provide more remediation. But what was really remarkable wasn't just the content, but the gamification of the experience and how fun and funny it was. And someone from Berkeley Systems, uh, then the Flying Toasters company, (laughs) saw it and said, can you do something in the adult gaming space? And then a whole slew of games were born, starting with something called You Don't Know Jack, uh, which was one of the most successful mass market gaming franchises ever. We followed up with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Smush, a number of games. We got really, really good at creating virtual game show hosts 
that it really entertained people from ages of eight to 80, albeit in a high culture meets pop culture kind of way. It is very likely, you know, games were way more successful than we wanted, but when CD-ROMs died, so too did Harry's aspirations for gaming. And there was a major pivot where it went from Jellyvision, the gaming company, to Jellyvision Lab. And that was in the early 2000s. And the idea was to go from being a company that created virtual game show hosts in a B2C gaming space on CD-ROMs to creating uh, interactive advisors uh, in a B2B enterprise space on the web. And our charter was to go to where people are trying to do something complicated and boring, but important. And we talk them through it. So the idea of reaching through the screen, engaging learners one-on-one with comedy and production values that keep it fun so people pay attention is just the foundational thing we've done through all of our twists and turns over the last 20 years. And Amanda, I just did something, uh, and I think Bob did it too recently, because we're going through the benefits cycle. Just did something where I, where I talked with Alex. I did air quotes there for those who aren't watching the video, which we don't <laughs> produce. And I think that has some origin with you, right? That's right. So we we started the company and we made all kinds of virtual advisors, basically trying to simulate a conversation between a virtual host and a user who's trying to get stuff done. We um, created a sleep disorder diagnostic tool for Rush University. We sold software for Eloqua, IBM, SAP, Autodesk, Salesforce. We explained what an IUD is to consumers for Morena. We did a living will application, all kinds of things, thinking how to take people through uh, complex and boring but important stuff, always wanting to productize and scale what we do weren't really successful until we landed on Alex. And for the last almost 10 years, we have been all Alex all the time. And in short, um, we make a platform that we license to mostly large employers to help them help their employees choose and use their benefits. Uh, Ford spends more money per car on health insurance than they do steel. Starbucks spends more on health insurance than they do coffee beans. And yet one in four employees would rather clean a toilet or be placed on hold than thinking mm-hmm. about benefits. What we did is we realized there's this insight of you pick up the phone and you call the smartest person you know, whether it's a coworker or a parent or a relative, and you say, what do I do? Because you don't want to you don't want to be a PhD in benefits. You just want to make a good mistake and then be done with it as quickly as possible. And we simulate that conversation online for all kinds of employees. So they don't have to be an expert on benefits. They just have to be an expert on what they care about and what they think their needs will be. And then we map them to the plan that works best for them and provide the math behind annualized out-of-pocket costs. So we have been doing this conversational interface that now has predictive analytics and AI woven in, but just really going back to like, not modern times, but almost the most basic of all human conversation between a user and a robot just behind the screen. Very one-to-one, very intimate. And we never called it originally Alex, we called it the Jellyvision Benefits Counselor, but our virtual host introduced himself and everyone kept calling it the Alex or Alex. And it really was like this weird intimacy between a user and a flowchart with Boolean logic and a million different yeah. notes. I mean, it, it, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. 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 I, and it's great. I went through it again last week, like you said, Dana, and now I'm changing my insurance plan and going to be saving like $1,500 a month. And you were right. I confirm I would have rather 
uh, clean the toilet than think about it. Uh, but I was happy to jump in <laughs> with Alex, which is great. But I, I'll tell you the story quickly of how we dove into this. And it was right about as you were making that pivot, Amanda, I think kind of coincidentally, because um, our chief learning officer at the time, Don Van Thornout, you guys remember, uh, we, we were publishing these curriculum cards with the curricula for Accenture people. And it was really kind of confusing. And, and cumbersome. And cumbersome. And, and Don was like, you know, if we could just like have a conversation with everybody at Accenture and walk them through it, I think they would get it. And I said, I think I know how we can do that because I was a big fan of You Don't Know Jack. And in the very early years, like right when You Don't Know Jack hit it big, uh, Harry came out to visit us at um, in Accenture Learning and talked about the Jack principles and all those type of things. So we, we were glommed onto that. And so... I think I just went to the website and found your number and called. And about two minutes later, I'm talking to Amanda. And then the next day you were out and you and Harry were out in St. Charles, which was great and did a demo for us. And we were all in. So we, we created that first product, the learning advisor. And over the next several years, we created a few more learning products and, you know, it's great. You know, we just see the, the benefit of, of having an experience where you feel like you're talking to a real person. And it's magic, the platform that they've created that does this. So Amanda, I would love to kind of break it down and just to make sure that our audience truly understands this insurance experience, especially for myself, right? I don't work with Dana and Bob and and I haven't got to save money like Bob has. So I would love to know what, what does it sound like? What does it feel like? What is that conversation experience feel like to the user? Can you just explain that a little bit for me? Alex is a voice experience that uses text on screen and an actual host to say, hi, you ready to learn about which benefits might be right for you? Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to ask you a few questions about what's important, what benefits you need, and then other things like what would happen if you had a sudden out-of-pocket cost that cost $750. So we're asking risk type questions but not in a way that's like, how much risk can you assume? What's your cash flow sensitivity? We ask in the most human of ways. Say, all right, how many physicians visits? How many scripts are you on? Who are you insuring? Awesome. Now that we know a lot about you, let's look at how each of your plan would work uh, based on annualized out-of-pocket costs. Here are the three plans that look like they best serve your needs. Here's what it costs to be on each plan. Here's what your annual out-of-pocket costs would be based on what you think. Do you want to see a worst-case scenario of costs? Something goes horribly wrong? Great. This is what each plan costs. Would you like to go back and try some different scenarios, like maybe a couple unexpected surprises? Would you like to play around with models, et cetera? But it is, it is actually taking the plan information and running projections where you can visually see costs while a voice who's slightly Midwestern incredibly conversational and super geeked out about benefits talks you through what you're seeing on screen. So we do the math, we calculate the annualized out-of-pocket costs and how things flow and how cash flow works, but just this overall, like it's almost, you don't know Jack like, but never mean, yeah. never snarky. <laughs> never, like, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, you're such a dummy. You can't afford the best. Plan. No, <laughs> never. Only get a different job. Yes, <laughs> only trying to have your best interest at heart, but it's it's a it's an advisor speaking English words to you in a conversational way with matching text on screen where you're giving us input, we're collecting that input, remembering that input, and then driving to recommendations. When I say remembering it, but here's a super simple example. 
Do you have kids? You have, are you going to have family on the plan? You are. How many kids? Three kids. Uh, we will never then ask about your child. We will always say children. If you tell us one child, we'll say, let's mm. make sure we get your child on the plan or what, you know, uh, scripts does your child have? So it's the idea of doing what a great advisor would do, which is like listening to what you said and making sure everything down the flow chart is in context and accurate to what you've already told us upstream. And Jake, like when we did the learning advisor, by, by the way, Amanda's rendition of Alex there was spot on. She, she wasn't role playing too hard in the the friendliness and the genuineness and just the the tone, right? The the atmosphere of it. It, it sound it sounds just like that. And there, there was a moment like we change moments, we keep it fresh, we're reinventing what people need. But there were a few years ago where there's a really there was a really tough moment of are you this or this what's your appetite for risk and one of the the fourth option was or do you just want to hear some soothing chicken sounds <laughs> and, and we had like a 10 percent click on like soothing chicken sounds where it's like all right we or like it was a alex clucked like a chicken or something and we just straight <laughs> up made chicken sounds and we're like all right now let's get back let's get back to the decision you can do this you got yeah. this and it's 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 a little bit of a personality but still trying to do what a great advisor would do if you were on uh, sitting across a table from them. So uh, Amanda, I'm thinking um, you guys have to be thinking about what's going on with AI and because we are, right? And the the whole idea of the the interactive conversation with a learning bent to it, uh, we are quickly approaching a world where you don't have to pick a prompt. You'll be able to just talk with the with the protagonist or the host. Uh, with real language and it will understand you and then it's going to generate responses on the fly. So I'm curious with, you know, without begging you to spill secret sauce of where you guys are at, but where are you guys at? So there, there are going to be three groups of people when it comes to AI, those who are making it happen, those who are watching it happen, and those who are like two years later, oh my goodness, what just happened? And <laughs> we are, we are determined investing to be in the first class, the former, the, the earliest. Um, we think about AI as being incredibly important on a few fronts. One, accessibility, and not just like digital 365, any language, but the, 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 the idea of the interface being driven by plain, simple language. And I played a lot with ChatPT, but the fact that it communicates effectively in writing anything simply said is in fact more accessible than something jargony or poorly communicated. So we, we're very interested in the accessibility implications. We are hugely intrigued by the opportunities for deep personalization through data. And then the quality of predictions and recommendations are going to get substantially better. The pedagogical approach we are grappling with is mostly what we're hired to do is a very specific job that's not quick and tactical. It's walk me through a process, help me understand a series of decisions I have to make. And we really are grounded in the idea of the conversation you'd have with a great advisor. Search, however, is a rapid firing of synapses. And, and it's like, you're like, hey, what's my benefits? Hey, should I have macaroni and cheese for dinner? Hey, it's, it's all over the place. Whereas we try to constrain, constrict, and guide on a single topic so we can get to done. So one of the things we're thinking about is how do we truly use sort of the, the balance of search and natural language to still guide people through an experience that's going to be completely open-endable, if that makes sense. 
You're nodding. I did, I'd love to hear what you think, Dan. I'm yeah, I'm nodding because uh, the whole notion of squirrel came to mind, right? When you're talking about <laughs> you go every different direction. I mean, all of us have that experience, and it's really easy to lose focus. Uh, and and when you have something that's really engaging, then then you might see the squirrel in the periphery, but you say, no, I'm paying attention here because I'm so engaged. So there there is a notion we talk about it as jobs to be done or who is in control mm-hmm. with search user drives, user can just pop around, hop around, whatever, but we, we really are deployed. Our tools are deployed to have a job being done of getting buddy, somebody, a user through a complex process. And you don't want to give away all control, right? If, if right now in our right. current modality, if you get distracted, if you see the squirrel and you go running after the squirrel, we stop and wait for you. That's not what search does. It's just moments in time. So we're really grappling with the idea of shared control. And how does that impact somebody who has a job to be done, a user who has a job to be done, who needs to get from A to B to C to be successful? One one thing I think about natural language, especially when you compare it to search, if I'm using search, it's really great for that quick answer. And I could keep searching to determine, well, why was that the answer? And then go down again. Why was that the answer you gave me? And then, you know, almost think of the five whys. You just break, break, break it down. But if you add in, when you do add a human element, they're the ones that can explain why, you know, Bob, why did you save $1,500 on your benefits and actually help you learn the deeper meaning behind it or the, 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 someone's mental models behind it. And that's where I think AI actually can supplement search. It's, it's not just getting the quick answer. It's actually explaining why did you get that code wrong? I think it was Tessa that explained on her uh, last episode when she said, I actually put in logic into ChatGPT and then explain why I got, I'm getting this wrong. And so it told me, told her the right answer and why. Yeah. That's where I think the natural language really comes in. And like that's, that's what Khan Academy is doing too, right? Like yeah. when they were faced with the problem of how do I make AI happen? How do we bring AI to the Khan Academy product? And the light bulb that went on, which was a light bulb for me when I heard it, was let's tune the AI to not be an answer dispenser, but an actual tutor. That the oh, job yes. of it is to help mm-hmm. teach the thinking as opposed to just saying, here's what the answer is, Yep. which has motivated a ton of my thought. And we've been having a lot of conversations around here, Amanda, around like, do we think people will want one AI, like one AI personality, or do they want several of them? that are fit for purpose. And from the learning side, as we've been playing with this, we kind of think it's a little bit of both. So we've got a vision that sometime in the near future, everybody's going to have their AI buddy, concierge, executive assistant, personal coach, uh, home automation bot. Uh, they're basically, you know, they're their best friend, uh, their, their butler uh, with them all the time who maybe even knows them knows them better than they know themselves. Um, but it won't necessarily be that personality that will be interacting with the person all the time. So it might be like, hey, I need to learn something more about the oil industry. And your AI butler might say, well, you know what? Let me connect you with my friend over here, another AI bot who can talk to you about the the oil industry. And then you can get that kind of fit for purpose directed um, co-shared guidance that you were talking about. 
uh, and, and it feels more human. And maybe the AI even directs you to a human as well. In the oil and gas industry, Bob, this is what I'd say when I'm in this <laughs> industry and your type of assistant. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking like Jarvis versus Ultron. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. To bring the Marvel into it. That's yeah. right. I don't know if it's an either or, but rather an evolution. When we yeah. started doing conversational interfaces online, one of the really big like design philosophies we had is show that you listen and care. Because people might drop, you know, their dial-up modems. People weren't sure that, like, did I did my input go in correctly? And now we're so sure the computers are listening to us all the time <laughs> that the interfaces have evolved. Like, we know you listen. Like, that that's done. And so I wonder if it's like you almost start off and you say, I don't need AI. I need certain jobs to be done. And the AI yeah. matches that job yes. to be done. I'm in work mode. I'm in life mode. I'm in couples mode. I'm in parent mode. Like they're, they're like jobs to be done. Nobody right now is saying I need AI. They're saying I need to be more efficient. I would need to learn about, I need to get this thing done. But just like we now accept computers, listen to us in everything we do. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to have a common vocabulary of I need AI and my AI is. I just think it's going to be an evolution to get there and probably an evolution is going to happen substantially faster than that of social media, smartphones in the palm of your hand, you know, yeah. et cetera. Bob, Bob was the guy who showed me my first iPhone. And I don't know if you remember this, but like he brought he got early, early, early a 1.0 iPhone and the Shocker, first time I right? ever played with a touchscreen yeah. was Bob's phone. Yeah, yeah. And now you've got one, right? I don't know if you have an iPhone, but you've got a phone that works that way because everybody in the world does. And I, I mm -hmm. go to my kids' computers and I try to, yeah. like, I, I have a, yeah. <laughs> Data showing us. Oh my God. Is what, circa 1992. It's a, it's a Casio digital <laughs> assistant and it's color. When I brought in, because nice. a lot of people had black and white ones, when yeah. I brought in a color one, I had all the techie geeks hover around me going, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is so cool. Well, and and it's a touchscreen yeah. with your utensil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you watch any 18-month-old who knows how to get through an iPad. Yeah. What was once revolutionary becomes second nature in the blink of a generation. So I just think AI by the time, you know, five, 10 years when we're having kids, they will expect to speak out loud and have mom, dad, or bot answer. So I, I've got a question going back to Alex. Um, did everybody resonate and does everybody resonate with Alex or have you had to kind of change the personality or, uh, or I mean, how, how did Alex evolve and what permutations do you have to have? The big question is I want to choose my persona. I want to choose my persona. And we always ask why, like, why do you want to choose your persona? If you're calling an advisor and getting a financial advisor on the phone, you know, calling a call center, you know, talking to someone in HR, you just need a good and trusted advisor. So we really cast based on feeling, not gender, not age, et cetera. We have added multilingual. We have added a non voiced over experience because there is a different use case of, I now understand I'm pretty confident I'm in the right plan. Just let me check. I'm a much more tactical, very different job to be done. Like we really play in the area of, of handholding. 
I don't know what to do. Walk me through it. But there's also the mindset of, let, let me just quickly check. Let me calculate. And we created a different modality for that type of experience. So we always say you can choose your own adventure, but like that to me is gimmickry. The reality is the more important dynamics than gender or age are helpfulness, approachability, gravitas, intelligence, like things that aren't related to choose your own version. And also very importantly, Alex is in your head. We never try to visualize Alex so that the voice can take on whatever you need it to in your head. We fought video. There is no animation. Why? Because when you're talking about financial advice, we want Alex to be the picture he needs to be in your head. Interesting. So all, all of this is hitting on the, the, the nature of personalization and how important personalization is in having meaningful interactions, whether it's trying to get your benefits figured out or even in, in learning. So mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a key for me, a key takeaway, how important that is. Yeah. And you know what, what we're getting at here too, is I think a really important point, and this is a conversation I had with somebody in our, uh, in our leadership development and our coaching side last week, uh, we were talking about, could you do an AI coach, like a AI personal growth coach, right? Uh, an AI, uh, life coach even. And they were kind of saying, well, I, I don't think you really could because it's, it's so vital that, um, the coach cares for the coachee and a computer can never care for the coachee. And I said, is it really vital that the coach cares for the coachee or that the coachee feels cared for? You know, they're like, oh, I, I don't know if I could feel cared for knowing that it was just a computer. And I think part of the reason why I was advocating for it was from my experience working on all of these things that we've worked on with Amanda and crew is because even though like sometimes I helped write the script, I, I'm going through it and I feel like I'm interacting with a real human person and I am I feel like I'm cared for. I definitely felt cared for when Alex told me how to save $1,500 a year. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that, that is such a, a great question. Is it important that the, the trainer cares or that the trainee feels cared for? And I'm going to go with the latter because we ultimately, what's behind feeling cared for? It's the dopamine, right? It's the yeah. serotonin. It's the brain chemistry. And I go back to like super, super simple um, cues of awareness. You guys remember like the original Fitbit when you would hit 10,000 steps and it would shoot yeah. fireworks. I mm -hmm. sometimes would get to like 9,997 and like walk around and watch and then get my little like, good <laughs> job. Like there, there are there it's brain chemistry that, that hit of like, I see you good job. It's not my boss telling me, it's not my family telling me, but my watch, I'm like, I did a good job. Like if you could start to build on that and make it more and more data rich and more and more personalized, like, Hey, you did it on a day where you're working from home and you only get up to like use the restrooms and don't go anywhere. Like good job moving. I, I think that there are ways to get the net effect uh, of the, the brain science behind feeling appreciated. That's way more important than the trainer. Mm -hmm. feeling appreciate yeah. i don't need ai to feel you know appreciation i need the net effect in the user yeah i think it's a collection too it's not just in that moment it's a series of mm. over time i feel cared for so let's say if in an organization we helped bob save fifteen hundred dollars and he had a human someone on the human side help him do x and then he had some technology do this support him then like in collection you overall hopefully feel cared for. You know, yeah. it's not always just one single thing, but at the end of the day, we're supporting you, we're helping you. And if it's from a technology or a human, that's all good. That's positive at the end of the day. 
So there's one thing, uh, you know, I listened to your um, podcast on creating learning cultures. And there was a question of like, how could you tell if you were a spy sent to a company to see if it's a learning culture? And it sort of ties in to where I think a lot of education fails, or certainly our educational system in the United States. I think our we teach kids how to answer questions and great education teaches kids to ask questions. One of my highest hopes for AI is that we learn how to ask more curious, open-minded questions. We become better question askers as we go from search to chat GPT to you know, language models. I, I think the curiosity, um, what a real learning culture is, isn't necessarily failure as much as it is trying and curiosity and reflection and all those kinds of things. And I hope without having like to have precise keywords, we start to reconnect our brains to asking good questions. I, that's, I resonate very much with that because in my own educational experience, I went to at first to a state school and at the state school, I learned lots of facts and I had to regurgitate lots of facts. Um, halfway through that, I ended up out at out here in Utah at Brigham Young University and I was taught how to think. And those yeah. are very different things. And I think that fits right in line with your paradigm. Yeah. Curiosity's hot right now, by the way, isn't it, Dana? It is. It's very hot. We just yeah. we have a, a learning brief that we're publishing internally on. I'm yeah. doing something again too Curiosity. on the side yeah. on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This Maybe our episode title should be "Falling in Love with Questions" because that used to be one of our models all the time. Fall oh, in love with a question. Yeah. yeah. It won't be, but it, you know. nah, it wouldn't work for this episode. It wouldn't, but, but, that's, but it'd be a good. It would episode. work for this moment. It, it could be. <laughs> it would. Could be the could be the alternate title, or right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You no, I'll just I'll just ask I'll just ask ChatGPT anyway. Yeah. What types? What do you think is best for this episode? Yeah. Well, hey, the half hour uh, plus the moments that we've had to cut out uh, have flown by. Mm. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> Amanda, we are so glad that you're able to join us today. So much fun. Would love to have you back. Great to see you. I, you yeah. are just, you guys are my favorite innovators and I, I just love the way you chew through things. And again, you have so many, uh, you know, hobbies and interests, but just audience, they were bantering about like the, the special barbecue they're doing and the books they've read and the play. Like they're such fascinating people. I really did uh, worry about getting through 30 minutes <laughs> and being able to keep up. So thanks for having me. Well, you know what, actually, so before we leave, tell, tell us something like fun and personal about you. Like what's a, what's a good fun fact? If you had okay. to do that icebreaker, you know? Okay. Yeah. I have a new fun fact. Yeah. And I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it on a podcast because I really do think it's fun. Yeah. Do you know Laura Linney? Yeah. The actress on Ozark played the wife Absolutely. on Ozark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I took a bath with her. I was uh, two. I was two, and I haven't <laughs> seen her since. My mom is very good friends with her mom, and they put us in a bath together while they were hanging out in Manhattan when we used to live in Manhattan. Yeah. I haven't seen her in 40-plus years. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone. But, like, my mom reminded me. I have been bathed with Laura with Laura Liddy. That is funny. <laughs> Spectacular. So I, I, that doesn't make me interesting. It doesn't make me smart. It doesn't mean I've learned anything new. But it's a fun fact. It's, it's a great fun fact. fact. It's, it's accurate, fantastic. Accurate. And I like your faces. Like the audience, they all froze and were like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> well, that's that's how you. Everybody's like, "What's well the permutation yeah, of that?" Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's well good, set up. Good storytelling. Yes. Very great. That's great. Well, Amanda, thanks again for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah. Thank you. 
Cheers. Uh, yep. Jake, Dana, as always, thanks for being here. Uh, you, our listeners, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm going to add something to the normal closing thing. Okay, you ready for this? Yes. This is like we're this is like we're real like social media people. I would like you, if you are listening to this, to like and subscribe, and also leave a review because whatever platform you're listening on, that's what helps drive up uh, clicks back to us and attention and all of that kind of stuff. So please smash that like button and hit that subscribe and give us some <laughs> and, reviews. And share with a friend. And share with a friend. We would love that. We smash would that like that. button. That's Let's great. Go. That's great. <laughs> so we'll, that's it till for now. We'll see you next time. And until then, stay geeky, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye.